Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Ho, 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 and welcome to a special episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. My name is Tyler Fornis, and with me today is my co-host, Fred Moreland, who is going to give me 24 presents today as we do kind of a little bit of a different episode. Fred, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Honestly, the presents are for myself. I bought myself a uh, a box of AW trading cards from Upper Deck, the new uh, set, and I was going to open them as we did the show. Uh, so I guess I'll go ahead and get it started. You know, I got let's, a pack right here. Let's have some fun. I'm I, I'm very excited to see these as we are doing a video chat. So I can, yes, this I is a as we all know, podcasting is a, a visual medium. Um, so you know, and you know, you got the cards. The, the the gimmick with them is you know they have a bunch of parallels. You know, this is a Anna J. You can't tell because they're kind of glossy and reflective. Uh, but let's see, this pack's got uh, Anna J, Vicky Guerrero, Eddie Kingston as a base card. So that's always nice. Uh, Jay Lethal and Frankie Kazarian. So a rather mid-card is hell pack. But we also have, uh, uh, there's gold parallel as one in each pack of Vicky Guerrero. And then there's a special canvas insert. with It's a different kind of print with uh, Cash Wheeler. And finally, an insult uh, insult insert of debut dates with uh, Christian Cage on it. But oddly, there's one more thing in here, which is a piece of paper, and it's got something written on it. This is I've never seen this before. It's not like an autograph. It's just, it says "Help stuck in upper deck factory." Oh wait, over over in the corner. That's weird. Okay, I'm turning it over. Hoping to hear my favorite podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy. Answer these 24 questions I wrote and put in each pack for this box. They they really 
could have balanced this more on the two sides, Tyler. It's weird. Like they just wrote the one sentence on the front. It keeps going. I especially hope to hear them answered by my favorite host, Tyler Fortis. That's stiff. Uh, thank you. <laughs> That's weird, Tyler. I've never, literally never had this happen before in my life. I can't believe this. Uh, They're doing but, weird things with trading cards these days. I, it's wild. The whole industry is just nuts these days. Uh, question number one in this pack is, uh, is Sasha Banks coming to AEW? And I just so happen to have some notes from Dave Meltzer. If you'd like me to go through those first. Let's do that. Uh, uh, Meltzer's update on Banks. And of course, uh, Joe Lanza had a report on her uh, earlier in the week, and this is kind of piggybacking off of that. Um, but basically, she and WWE agreed to a deal where she would be released from her WWE contract at the end of this calendar year. And uh, despite the fact that I keep thinking it's like August, it is actually December 19th as we record this. So that's almost done. Um, and it kind of assages my, is she actually leaving, you know, theory from last week. So no, she actually is gone. Um, and he had these quotes. Uh, obviously, New Japan couldn't pay anywhere close to a WWE deal as many of the women in the company earn in excess of a million dollars per year. And the biggest stars are well above that figure. She was said to be seeking a number along the levels of Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. And those internally have said she wasn't offered numbers close to that. They said that she's not seen internally as someone who would be on top for the next five years, but is seen as someone who could get a singles or tag team title run, but has peaked as a star, aside from the reality that was acknowledged that if she would return, there would be a honeymoon period where people would go nuts for her. Plus, she had a rep in WWE of being really talented inside the ring, but there were issues behind the scenes that were talked about as problems, and she did walk out of the promotion twice. So... Uh, as a reminder, Sasha Banks is 30. Um, we'll be turning 31 next month. Um, well, do you think she's coming in? And what do you think about those quotes from WWE kind of bearing her on her way out, if you will? I mean, what does WWE have to lose? Why would they praise her if they know she's never coming back? Um, this isn't the era of Vince McMahon anymore. We don't know how Paul Levesque is going to handle these situations. Vince had a history of anytime someone left a promotion, no matter how bad it was, uh, he always found a way to make amends if it meant making money. You look at Hulk Hogan. You look at Bruno San Martino. You look at Bret Hart. There are many instances of this throughout the history of WWE. Where Ultimate Warrior, which I literally yeah. thought would never happen. Um, now, like, the, the only one that never happened is Macho Man because he died. I think I honestly think that if he had not died of that terrible heart attack slash car wreck, it probably would have happened with him too. You know what? It probably would have, but I think that one might be a little bit of a different scenario too, Fred, just considering that a the lot rumors. of rumors surrounding him and a um, 17-year-old Stephanie McMahon, yeah. that might have been a bridge too far for Vince. But unfortunately, we'll never know because, as you said, Macho Man tragically did pass away um, way, way, way too young. I, I think with Paul, we genuinely don't know how he's going to handle these. We did see him bring back a bunch of people that Vince let go, but we've never had a situation where there were bad, there's bad blood between a wrestler and WWE. And Paul has brought that person back. Now that's not to say he won't. We have no precedent for how Paul's going to handle these things. And because we have no precedent, I'm going to go under the assumption because they're burying her on the way out that she is not coming back to WWE. I do think it would be a somewhat of a mistake considering the relationship that Tony Khan has with pretty much everybody else in the wrestling business that her not going to AEW would be a mistake because I think 
one, she would be a humongous ratings draw. Um, and I said this last week, I think she'd be a ratings draw on the lines of CM Punk. It's obviously a different situation, but she is like one of three ratings movers in WWE where her segments skyrocket. People love Sasha Banks. And I think they're going to follow her in droves. We've already seen some of the stands come out on Twitter and like say that, you know, how much they love her. We've had some like going RIP to her WWE career. Wherever she appears, I really think that they're going to follow because they love Sasha Banks. Some are just going to love WWE and they're going to find another diva to latch on to. Sorry. They're not divas anymore. That's right. Women's wrestler. Um, They're going to find someone else to latch on to. Women superstar even. Ah, superstar. If we're we're using the proper WWE speak, I guess. I'm not using their damn vernacular. They they can shove it. uh, You really shouldn't. (laughs) Anyways, um, you look at that. How can can she not want to go to AEW considering they're on national television? She can be a draw. They would use her as a draw. I'm almost certain that they would. And I don't think she even needs to sign a full-time contract. She can just do like part-time because they like cycling people in and out. Have her come in for like a six-week cycle every pay-per-view. Get her on television. And then you know what? Maybe you give her a run with one of the titles. If she comes into AEW right after January 1st, on either the 4th or the 11th when uh, there's that mystery tag team partner with Soraya, she comes in and she runs rough shot through the division and then she wins the TBS title from Jade at Revolution, one, I think that could be a storyline that works because of how much of a star she is and how great she is in the ring. Jade would not lose anything by losing to her. And I think we both agree she needs to drop that title and then go work on things. Yeah. I, I I really think it would be a mistake for her not to come because I think there's a lot that she can do. And there's a history of AEW caring about professional wrestling, caring about the business, and caring about the people that work for them. And that, CM Punk even pointed to it. The Brody Lee tribute show sold him officially on coming back. And I think that kind of stuff makes a massive difference to somebody who is coming into your company. So you look at all of those aspects, Fred. If she doesn't come, that's going to be a personal decision for her. It could be a financial one because we heard about that with Stardom and Bushi Road. They're paying her only on a per day basis because they would not pay her on a full-time contract for what she was asking Quite frankly, I don't blame them for not saying yes, and I don't blame her for saying no, because in Japan, I don't know what kind of a mover she will be. In the U.S., she will draw, and she will bring in crowds. That, that I don't think, is a question at all. No. but I, I, I think the reporting is that they anticipate her um, using her primarily in U.S.-based events, like alongside the New Japan, New Japan America events. Um, not like strong tapings, but like when they come over and tour. Uh, having her possibly be you know take the iwgp women's championship uh, i i believe that's the, what the reporting is on an anticipated direction for her with stardom mm-hmm. um i i really think it would just be a mistake for her not to show up and i think because she wants to wrestle she is a dork like us and i mean that in an endearing positive way she's one of us she's gonna want to do that she's gonna want to have those matches like the St. Patrick Day slam match with the hardcore match with uh, Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. I gave that four and three quarters. I think she's going to see that kind of stuff and want in. She's going to want to do that kind of stuff, want to be creative and not just have a war games match because it's called war games. She's going to want to help that division. She's going to want to build it up and she can be a pillar for that women's division over the next decade in AEW. 
I'm, I find it really hard that she's going to want to say no to that unless there is something that we don't know, Fred. Behind the scenes, there could be bad blood between her and Tony Khan. There could be bad blood between her and somebody else on the roster. There could be somebody. I just don't want to work in a place that they work. We don't know a lot of those things, and I think that'll come out the second that she makes any form of decision outside of stardom and then New, and New Japan as well. I think she will be with AEW on 111 and i think the second the new year hits they will p- promote her and they will get people to watch their television and i think she's going to spike ratings yeah i think she can really be a difference maker for him and uh, i think uh i do hope she comes in that AEW is willing to pay her the money that she's really worth um she's i mean every wrestler in wwe and probably AEW too is underpaid uh, just looking at like a share of the revenue compared with the major sports leagues. Uh, but, you know, I'm hopeful that AEW will be able to get her in and uh, maybe do some stuff with her. So. It would be great for both parties for her to, to join AEW because that women's division, while there are some talented females in it, we're still pushing the likes of Nyla Rose, who is just not going to get any better than what she is now. She's a great base. She's a great monster, per se, in the same way that like, you had your canes and big shows. They were monsters for somebody to overcome before they get to the mountaintop. That's where I think Nyla Rose is, and she's still getting title matches. I think that they need to sl- they need to get more blood in the building, and I think that Sasha would be the perfect way. You could build Rampage around Sasha Banks, and you'd be able to spike those ratings in a similar vein to what they did with CM Punk. I really think she can be that kind of a draw. I completely agree. Are you ready for the next pack and mystery question? Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Our next pack has uh, base cards of Bryce Remsburg. Now, if that oh, doesn't uh, make you break the bank, I don't know what will. Uh, Riho has a gold parallel of Sean Spears and then a main features insert of Ray Phoenix. And then it's missing several cards from this pack because it actually is the one with the memorabilia card for Sting. Um, looks like it's a piece of Matt. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and the question is, does MJF's Patty Pimblet feud do anything for MJF or AW? See, that's interesting. Uh, let's talk oh, about sure. this from a few Yeah, I think angle. so. The, the person that wrote these questions must be very intelligent. Uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, let's mm. be honest. We're talking about Patty Pimblet here. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. Because while there is a lot of crossover between MMA and wrestling fans, I mean, just look at our office Slack when UFC pay-per-views happen. There's a lot of discourse about it. And you and I, a lot of times, are in that discourse because we enjoy the promotion. And it can be extremely fun. But while they are incredibly similar, they are very, very different. And a lot of people who watch real fighting do not like professional wrestling because it's not, quote-unquote, real. What they do is real, but it is essentially an athletic version of, of a play and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think one of the reasons that we like it is because when it's really good, it's really good. And you suspend your disbelief. Some people who like real fighting do not have that same correlation. I think you're going to be able to get some promotion from MJF and Patty Pemblet, but what's the end game here? Are we going to bring Patty onto AW dynamite? What kind of fees is he going to be? And how much of a draw is he actually going to be? Cause within the MMA world, he's all right. He's not Conor McGregor. Like, he's not Paige Van Zandt. When Paige came into the promotion with Dan Lambert, you had 
ties. You had star power. And obviously, Paige is a very attractive woman. That makes a difference. What does Patty bring to the table that will generate any kind of sustainable mainstream buzz? Because I think at the end game, if you want to have a feud with somebody in the UFC and you want to do some cross-promotional stuff, having cachet in mainstream media means everything. Paige Van Zandt had some cachet. Conor McGregor has the most cachet. Now, Masvidal, that makes a lot more sense to me. Patty, eh, it's cool for social media, but I don't think it really does anything for AEW because I don't think him coming in would be any kind of a big ratings mover or draw. And I, Patty's not going to want to come in here and lose to MJF, and MJF certainly isn't going to lose. Like he is the he is the biggest star, arguably, in professional wrestling right now. You uh, have the biggest to do issue. something to okay. protect him. And I just I don't see a winning end game for AEW in this scenario. Well, the biggest issue with Pimblet is that he uh, nearly lost that fight. Like he probably should have, except that the judging was kind of weird from what I heard uh, against uh, forget Jordan uh, was his last name, if I recall correctly. Um, so I, I, I think that what I read, because I'm, I'm not following MMA much these days, but what I read is that Pimblet was kind of getting pushed along the same Conor McGregor uh, trash talking lines and uh, but just didn't deliver in the ring this time or the cage, I guess I should say. Yeah, it's I I don't see it now. If you want to start a feud with Masvidal or McGregor, hell yeah. But right now it's to me, it doesn't make sense. And I think it's going to be fun on social media and that's it. Fair enough. Oh, let's see what's in our next pack. We've got uh, let's see a base card of uh, Dante Martin, uh, Ricky Starks, Pinta L Zero Miedo, uh, Cole Cabana, and then the Lucha Brothers as a tag team. And our inserts is a gold parallel of Anna J, a main features card of Dustin Rhodes, and a UD Canvas uh, Dax Harwood card. So I've completed the FTR pairing there of that insert set. Uh, and the question is, what is your AW MVP ballot for the year? Give your top five in order. John Moxley is one through five. I, I <laughs> it's John Moxley. I, and I don't, you could make an argument, I guess for MJF, but I don't think it would be too strong of one considering over the summer, John Moxley held that interim title. And with CM Punk out, he was really the catalyst of the show. He was a catalyst of the company. Then he dropped it to CM Punk at all out. And then he had to take the ball again because CM Punk had the brawl out thing and he had to be stripped of the title. I think I don't I don't think it matters two through five because it's John Moxley and every anybody else is just cannon fodder at this point. It's Moxley. He kept the company doing well when circumstances were far from ideal. But if you were to round out your top five, just to go along with the gimmick. All right, well, I'll go along with the gimmick. Um, They're trapped in a factory, man. You got to be nice to them. <laughs> All right, so John Moxley obviously is number one. Um, Chris Jericho, I'd probably put it number two. He has been a constant on television, and he's been really good no matter what position he's been put in. And obviously, you had the tremendous feud with him in the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, three, this is where it gets kind of hard. Um, I. I think you can make an argument for Britt Baker. She's been a constant. She's been very good whenever she's been put in positions. Obviously, the Soraya match. Now, we can 
have conversations about that match in general, but she did everything she could to deliver the promos, all of that. Um, four, I, you know what? I think you have to consider FTR. They, no matter which rendition of him, if it was the two of them, or if it was just Dax Harwood on his vanity tour to get wrestler of the year votes, they were constant on television for the most part. We obviously had them complain about it at uh Royal quest that telling Tony Khan to book them. But when they were on TV, they were great. They're, they get one of the biggest pops in the building every single time they go out and they've been excellent. Um, five, this is where it gets tough. What about here? Here's kind of an oddball one. Um, I, I think I'd put it as a tie between like Daniel Garcia and Brian Danielson. Okay. They've been just tremendous segments. Garcia hasn't been focused on nearly enough. And I wonder if he's going to be an ROH mainstay and he's just on the AEW roster because they needed to get him under contract. Um, and then Danielson, whenever he goes out, it's gold. Yeah. Um, just the consistency from those two, I think puts them up really high. There's probably someone I'm missing, but in all honesty, none of it matters because it's John Moxley. And that's to me, end of discussion. Yeah. I think it'd be, have to be unanimous for him this year. Uh, for my top five, I'd probably go, uh, Boxley, uh, Jericho, like you did, I think I'd put FTR third, um, and then after that, it is a little difficult. I think I would put um, Brian Danielson fourth, and then the acclaimed fifth. Um, I think they oh, just had a bit. good call on the acclaimed. Good yeah. call. I think they've had a really strong year. Um, I don't know that I really see anyone on the women's side having a strong enough year because Britt did disappear for a while, and uh, of course, Thunder Rosa, blah blah blah. So that's probably my take. Off the cuff. Next pack. Let's see who's in here. Uh, we got Arn Anderson, Wardlow, and Helico. Uh, Thunder Rosa, Daniel Garcia, previously mentioned. Um, and then uh, a Darby Allen insert, a Jungle Boy insert, and a Paul White, Tall Paul uh, parallel. Um, how about them Vikings? Oh, God. Oh, God. Let me tell you about them Vikings. As a lot of you probably already know, I almost died now. It's It'll be four years in February. I was literal hours from my deathbed, and the fact that I didn't go into septic shock is kind of a miracle. I almost died on Saturday. Watching that game took years off my life. The first half, oh, okay, so I am the managing editor for the Vikings Wire, so I write constantly about the Vikings on game day. And throughout the first half, I was writing a burial piece. I probably had 800 words written about how the Vikings stunk, and I placed a percentage blame to who I thought was to blame for that first half. Well, then the Vikings came back in from a 33-0 deficit and won 39-36 in overtime. That was one Big, of the more, more remarkable comebacks I've ever seen. Biggest comeback the, in NFL history. And you know what? Those who know me, and I think you know this too, Warren Moon is my favorite football player ever. I have watched that 92, 32-point comeback by the Buffalo Bills over the Houston Oilers no less than a dozen times. It's one of my favorite football games to watch because it's so fascinating on so many levels, and it's one of the reasons why the run and shoot ended up dying in the National Football League because when you have a big lead, it's really hard to sustain it with how your offense is built. Now, 
I've seen that game multiple times and the dichotomy of the two are completely different, but the Vikings ended up finding a way to come back and tie the game and end up winning in overtime. That was an emotional roller coaster, and I don't get emotional about football much anymore because it has become my job and I try to really be even keeled and give as objective analysis as I can. But let me tell you, uh, my puppy, Odie, who is sleeping right next to me as I record the show, was scared because on that last touchdown, I was jumping up and screaming and pumping my fist. And I was so excited that the Vikings had figured out a way to come back from an insurmountable deficit and win a football game. And you know what? They're not going to give the Vikings any credit for that comeback. They're going to keep talking about how they're frauds and they're going to use unfair data points to point to it. I had one today, Dan Graziano of ESPN. The Vikings have a plus two point differential as an 11 and three team. Used that only point to say that the Vikings were frauds. What a bunch of crap. I, I wrote a piece and I buried, absolutely buried the living hell out of it, Fred. It was atrocious. It's unfair. It's lazy. And it's trying to confirm your priors without actually investigating the context of why something happened. It's the equivalent of somebody seeing like on Christmas day, Oh, the rating was bad. This, this product sucks. Uh, did you not realize that it, it aired on Christmas day or like SmackDown when it goes to FS one and it does 40% of its normal viewership. Oh, that's normal buddy. Because it changed networks. It went from network television to cable. Like the context, like Eric Bischoff said it all the time. Context is king. And we don't like Bischoff, but he's right. The context matters just as much as the data. Because if I give you a data that says eggs are $5, well, you're going to be like, well, what the hell? Well, I didn't tell you the context was they are at a gas station, a convenience store. And they're not at Walmart where eggs are like three fifty. Like that kind of context makes a difference. And the analysis about this Vikings team has been so lazy. And so I just want to prove my priors. Kirk Cousins stinks. Like, look, watch this team, understand why they're doing it, understand the why behind it, and then give me some analysis. Problem is with a lot of national guys, they can't watch everything. You know how hard it is to watch 16 games on a Sunday? Critically? Like, I have three TVs in my basement. I have a gimmick where I can watch all of the, all the games. Even for me, it's difficult. And I've started to train myself to do it because it's my profession. But at the end of the day, if you're going to speak in these platitudes about a team, you better know what the hell you're talking about. And to me, it's very frustrating that the national media really doesn't know. And they just point out to stats or metrics. Hey, why do the stats and metrics say what they do? Are you trying to think critically or just pointing out, oh, um, DVOA says that they're bad, so they're bad. Why does DVOA say that they're bad? Why are they finding ways to win every single close game that they've been in this year? And to me, that's the most frustrating part. But I, I could go on and on about my soapbox. Listen to my show, The Real Forno Show, on the Climbing the Pocket YouTube channel or the Daily Nurseman podcast feed, and you can hear me rant about these Vikings 24-7, which – my producer is probably going to be pissed at me because I have not sent him the um, show notes for today. Um, so I'm going to do that while you go through your next little card pack. 
All right, we could do that. Um, all right, uh, in this pack, our base cards, a little more star power than the first one, I definitely think so. The Acclaimed as a tag team. Kyle O'Reilly, remember him? Uh, Brian Danielson, Jake Hager, and Nyla Rose. And uh, our inserts, we've got a Ray Phoenix Gold Parallel, a Hikaru Shida uh, insert, and a Powerhouse Hobbs insert. And the question in this pack is, are you excited or concerned about the changes coming with Michael Mansory? Um, and go into that a little bit more so you have more time to send your notes over. Uh, from The Observer, uh, the company made a major hire this week uh, with Michael Mansory as the new senior vice president and co-executive producer with Tony Khan going forward. He started on this past week's television. Part of the deal is that Warner Brothers Discovery and Khan had decided to change the look of the show. The plan changes are to go into effect in January at some point. He was for a time considered to be the guy who would replace Kevin Dunn with the idea that when Vince McMahon left, whenever that would be, Dunn would eventually get replaced by Mansuri, but he didn't wait that long. He became executive pr producer of Pat McAfee's podcast and then was hired as senior VP and executive producer for one, uh, the MMA League, and worked there for 16 months and left that position a few weeks ago. Um, one person in WWE noted to us that Mansuri was a, quote, tremendous asset. He was being groomed to be the heir apparent to the Kevin Dunn throne, but moved up too quickly. And much like David Sahadi and several others, that's when Dunn covertly made his life very difficult. That's all a quote from The Observer. So, uh, Michael Mansuri coming in and the changes to AEW's presentation. Tyler, are you anticipating this or uh, kind of fearful? I have no idea. Um, I don't know how much of WWE he was in charge of. Like you can say he was being groomed as a pre um, the next guy to Kevin Dunn, but like let let's look at like presidency of the United States. Like um, Donald Trump handed it over to Joe Biden, and that doesn't mean Biden's going to do everything that Trump did, or vice versa. Like Trump didn't do everything Barack Obama did. We don't know how much of what Kevin Dunn did um, was his name Michael. Yes, Michael uh, Mansory. Mansory. Okay. Uh, we don't know how much Mansory agrees or disagrees with. We don't know what his vision of what professional wrestling should look like will be. I will say that no matter what, Tony Khan is going to have final say. But I think bringing in outside views, because one of the things that's really tough, and it kind of equates to professional football too, self-scouting. Like You can self-scout yourself all the time, but sometimes it takes an outside perspective to tell you what you're doing wrong so you can understand it. Because Fred, if you and I look at at this can of monster. All right. I'm holding up a can of monster, the microphone. If you and I look at this nonstop every single day for an entire year, we may miss the fact that on the back calories is spelled wrong because we look at the same thing every single time. Now it sounds absurd, right? But that's why people bring in other individuals to help look at what you're doing. That's why as a writer, having an editor is such a big deal because you can go over your stuff time and time and time again, but you may miss the same mistake when you look at it 30 times because it's your own work. And that's why having somebody come in and critically analyze what you're doing is such a good thing. Will it be good changes? I can't, I can't guarantee that. I don't know, but I think it's objectively good to bring in somebody to help enhance your product and at least try new things. And having that outside vision and perspective can be a good thing. We'll see if he ends up being a creative genius or Vince Russo or somewhere in between. We, we don't know. But it's good that they're trying to help improve the product and not just sourcing from the inside and getting an outside perspective. I think that's a good thing. I think some of WWE's production is good. I also think some of it's really, really bad. 
what is he going to take? What is what are his viewpoints on how to present professional wrestling? That is going to be the big question that we have to answer, Fred. And I'm very intrigued to see what happens. But I like that Tony Khan is willing to go outside the box to make it happen. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Uh, it it's because it could be very interesting. It could be very interesting in a bad way. Um, I actually have been watching quite a bit of Impact Wrestling recently, trying to get caught up on their best matches. And I think that their announcers there, um, what's uh, the former Aiden English, and uh, oh man, I'm blanking on the other guy's name. Uh, but I think that they are they have talent. But I also think that uh, they both came up in WWE and uh, they are very, um, very much stuck in the ways of that. So they'll do stuff like the, the, the play-by-play guy will scream tag every time there's a tag in a uh, in the tag match. Uh, or else, um, you know, you'll hear them go on these diatribes that are extremely WWE stylized. And it's kind of frustrating because you're like, I... I it's uh, Tom Hannafin, uh, uh, Tom Phillips. Because uh, you think these guys could be really good and they're just doing the same old playbook that sounds ridiculous even in WWE, but they're out of it and now it sounds even worse. So I am a little concerned that might happen. Hopefully it won't. I can't imagine it would, but, you know, just something, since we don't know what's coming, I you know, that's where my mind is going, I guess. Uh, our next pack has uh, base cards of the Bunny, uh, a Jurassic Express tag team card, Ruby Soho, Nick Jackson, and Jungle Boy. Uh, and there's also a gold parallel of Ricky Starks. A, I think it's called a uh, fireworks po- uh, parallel of Red Velvet that is shiny. And then a Kyle O'Reilly insert. And our question with this pack is, uh, what was your AEW match of the past week? Uh, was it Chris Jericho versus Action Andretti? Was it Ricky Starks versus MJF? Or was it John Moxley versus Sammy Guevara on Rampage? Ricky Starks, MJF. Um, and it was something that we talked about pre-show. I wanted to talk about this match because I think Ricky Starks is a made man. I think how they beat him was brilliant. MJF is a shitbag, and he beat him in a shitbag way. He kicked him in the balls. It does not make Ricky Starks look weak because if any individual who has been kicked in the balls knows how incredibly that hurts. And I don't think anybody would look down on Ricky Starks for losing in that manner. And everybody's going to look at MJF just being a piece of shit. Cause well, guess what? He kind of is. That's the whole antithesis of his character. Ricky Starks is going to win that belt soon. When I say soon, I think within the next three years. Okay. Now a lot can change in the next three years. But let me tell you, I don't think it was a mistake that they elevated him. The The Rock comparisons have apparently been around for a long time. And you obviously needed MJF for him to deliver that promo two weeks ago. But that promo is still, to me, the best I've ever heard. But you have to have the right foil. And MJF deserves a lot of the credit for that because he set him up perfectly. Starks delivered. And sometimes you need that. Like Dusty Rhodes' hard times promo doesn't come if he doesn't have the perfect foil either because you have to you have to have a story. You have to have a setup. Fred, you or I could go in there and cut a really good promo in theory, but if we don't have the right story, the right information, the right foil, it's not going to deliver nearly as well than if we had those things. And I think when you have MJF being able to set up Ricky Starks like that, it gives you hope that he can be the guy he can deliver in the ring. Like the guy he can obviously promo like the guy and he looks like he can be the guy. 
I love that they gave him the spot. I think he delivered in a big way. And MJF got his first title defense underneath him, behind him. And now we can look forward to what is likely Brian Danielson because he obviously came out at the end when MJF, you know, just continued to be a piece of shit. Um, I did like the other matches that you mentioned. I think Action Andretti, he looked way greener than I expected. There were some kind of like flaws in the match. I think it almost enhanced it because it's Chris Jericho and he can't really compete with the speed of him. Yeah. I did like that the finish came out of nowhere, but it didn't feel like it was the wrong decision. It didn't feel like, Hey, this shouldn't have happened. It didn't feel like a mistake. It just, it was a flash. And I think everything about it worked. Chris Jericho continues to prove why he is arguably the greatest professional wrestler of all time. And at 53 years old, he continues to deliver. Now his in-ring career, you can tell it's almost done. Like he's, he's so smart in the ring, but his body is catching up to him. And age does not wait for any man or woman when it comes to being a physical performer. But the mind of that man and how he wants to give back. And he is trying so hard to make all these guys. It, like we don't appreciate Chris Jericho enough. And when he's gone, it's, it, it's really going to suck because of how much he's meant to this promotion. And he's still a ratings draw. Yeah. Like he's a, he's a douchebag heel and the whole crowd still sings his entrance music. Like it's, it's amazing. He's still an effective heel. I mean, considering everything, cause he's like at the point where Ric Flair was really unable to be a heel and he wore t- for long periods of time because he was just so beloved. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to miss Jericho a lot when he goes. Um, this run, if you didn't think he was one of the best professional wrestlers of all time before, you you can't say no now. You I, I you can't. His match with Eddie Kingston back in uh, March at Revolution is going to be a top 10 match of the year for me. They didn't do anything but just beat the piss out of each other. Yeah. But the story mattered. The action mattered. And he can still go when you need him to. I'm a little concerned about him because I do think he's looked noticeably worse compared to how he was earlier in the year in the Claudio match and this Andretti match. Uh, it looked like he aged quite a bit in the past couple months. Maybe it was just a you know rough night or something, but... Uh, that's just what my takeaway was. Um, if I were to pick one of the matches, I would actually go with Moxley Guevara. Uh, I thought it was worked really well, um, and I thought it was just the best match between the three in terms of in-ring. Um, obviously, with the least stakes of the three. Um, I liked Andretti Jericho quite a bit, but I do think between I, what I perceived as uh, Jericho's slowing down and Andretti's uh, you know, being a little off, nothing terrible, but just... A little off um, on some of this stuff. Uh, I didn't think it was quite as good as like what the story laid out was. Um, so that's just my take on the question that I yeah. definitely did not write. <laughs> uh, next pack, uh, we got base cards of Paul White. Tall Paul was back. Uh, Sean P- Spears, Serena Deeb, Ethan Page, and a Mark Henry announcer card. Um, we have a gold parallel of Dante Martin a insert of Sting, and then a parallel insert of Tall Paul again. So very Paul White heavy pack right there. Uh, and the question in this pack is, what comes next with Chris Jericho and Action Andretti? 
And I have a couple notes from the Observer about this. Basically, uh, Jericho saw Andretti work that uh, AW Dark match with uh, QT Marshall back uh, in October. And um, he decided after watching that he wanted to do this angle with Action Andretti after he lost the Ring of Honor Championship. Uh, so Andretti was quietly signed to an AEW contract. Uh, and uh, he was pulled from everything. He didn't do any more dark matches or anything like that uh, or, or dark elevation. And so after he dropped the belt, uh, they set it for uh, the Garland, Texas uh, Winter is Coming show. And they were very fortunate that they basically got what might have been the best crowd of the year for AW because that crowd was super hot for everything. And uh, what's interesting is uh, Dave Meltzer drew parallels and in a very obvious way made it clear he actually talked with Chris Jericho. Um, he drew parallels between how this angle worked and uh, the 1977 match where Ricky Steamboat, uh, as kind of an up-and-coming guy, upset Ric Flair to win the Mid-Atlantic Championship. Um, so what do you think is coming next with this storyline? Do you think they're going to continue Jericho and Andretti or are they going to go their separate ways? I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, I have a conspiracy theory. I wonder if he ends up joining Jericho where it's almost the respecting, Hey, you beat me. Let me mentor you. And let's, let's take you to that next level. As far as in storyline, this could be a one-off and Chris Jericho is just like, so pissed off this could be the the beginning of the end of the jas like there's so many different directions this could go i i want to think that he's gonna figure out a way to continue to um to continue um helping this guy i just don't know how he's gonna do it i don't know how much time he has left i don't know if there's a fozzy tour coming up that could impact things there's a lot of nuance that that you could talk about with this. Um, I'm very intrigued. I just, I genuinely don't know. Cool. All right. Well, fair enough. All right. Our next pack, we have uh, cards of MJF, uh, Penelope Ford, Tay Conti, Dax Harwood, Jamie Hayter, a gold parallel of Taz, uh, one of the pyro parallels of Stu Grayson and a Malachi Black debut date insert. And the question in this pack is, should Mandy Rose be brought in? Why? Why? I assume, I assume that there will be some people suggesting that because she has something of name value since she just left NXT and had been pushed so heavily on NXT TV for like the past year. <sighs> Why? <laughs> no, look, look. Mandy Rose exists. She's not completely atrocious. She's not going to kill anybody in the ring. But when you take a look at all the little things, right? she was basically fired for doing softcore porn. If she wants to do it, great. Do it. Make a ton of money for being, being attractive. Hell yeah. I will support anybody who wants to do those kinds of things. If you want to do it, great. But at the end of the day, you're on a national television show and you're advertising yourself online doing things like softcore porn. The the dick ratings that she does with her boyfriend, Tino Sabatelli. That's not going to be endearing to somebody who's trying to sell to advertisers who are going to come at them and say, why is this person on your show? Because they do X, Y, and Z. Should it matter? No. But this is the real world. This isn't like... 
Nirvana. Like that matters to television show. And you could make an argument if this individual was some kind of humongous draw. Okay. You know what? Maybe we can make an exception because you, you can go to these advertisers and say, yeah, you know what? They do that. But they also enhance ratings 25% over um, similar segments during that quarter hour. Then you can at least be like, hey, they make a, a real impact. Mandy Rose is champion for over a year, and she didn't make any kind of noticeable impact on NXT. There is no evidence of her being a great in-ring talent. There's no evidence of her being a real draw. I think you don't touch her with a 10-foot pole as far as an in-ring product. She's just not going to help your promotion. So I think you just need to stay away. And is that necessarily fair to her? No, but this isn't a business about fairness. This is a, it's the real world of business. And I don't think as AEW, you can bring her in. I agree. And I wouldn't just in general, I don't think she really brings anything especially valuable in terms of professional wrestling. Uh, good honor for uh, making cash though. It's uh, it's a hard knock life. All right. Pack number 10. Um, we have base cars of Lee Johnson, Justin Roberts, Malachi black pack, and uh, the butcher and the blade with a gold parallel of Alex Reynolds, a, Red parallel serial number to two out of 299 of John Moxley and a Adam Cole baby insert. Um, hopefully, he'll be able to return at some point. Uh, the question is what are three things AEW needs to improve in the coming year? Oh, that's a good one. Um, one, I think they need to find a way to um, utilize their talent better. You have Miro not doing anything. House of Black is finally just doing kick-ass shit. Like, that's all they should be doing. They should going, be going in and beating people up. You I have, think they'll be really helped with the trios title. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Elite who are doing the trios thing. You have Kenny Omega who's away from the world title picture. Uh, I, I I like that. I think you can heat up Omega at any time, but he's got the stuff with Will Ospreay. He has these trios titles. I think you can do a lot with Omega and not have to worry about him being world champion. I like that. Um, two, I want to see this promotion start working on just establishing a more people at a higher level, utilizing Dynamite. And we talked about it when we talked about Rampage. Look, I swear Tony Khan must listen to the show because some of the things that we talked about a few weeks ago, he's implementing John Moxley's had been on back-to-back rampages with bigger matches. They're loading up rampage like we said they should. And they're establishing people on dynamite. Action Andretti winning over Chris Jericho was not a mistake. That was on dynamite. Mm-hmm. That's how you establish people. Continue to do that. Utilize your people and be willing to beat mid-carters. They're a mid-carter for a reason, Fred. Utilize it. It's okay to beat them. It's okay for it to like Miro's not going to all of a sudden be destroyed. If he goes eight and two over 10 matches, it's not a big deal. Like you can still book him strong. And obviously that that's a whole different scenario. Cause we know uh, what that he turned down some creative because he was basically going to be given Ethan Pedro. And we know how that turned out, but uh, you keep building stars on dynamite. And then the third one I want What's what's the best way to put this? I like that they 
continue to use gimmick matches, but I think they need to slow down on ladder matches. I ladder matches. Like I understand you have your gimmick where you do the, the title shot with the ladder match at double or nothing. Okay. That's fine. Like you have the one, but I think that they're starting to almost lean into ladder matches as a crutch. And it's not a WWE crutch, but I want to see less ladder matches as Marshall just picks Marshall's defensive lineman just picked off UConn and nice. steamrolled the quarterback for a touchdown in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Hell um, yeah. I'm a Marshall yeah. fan. So we Hell yeah. that a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I want to see them use that a little bit less as a crutch. I want to see m- more creativity and with some of those gimmick matches. Um, don't ever stop battle Royals. This is a great battle Royal company. They know what they're doing. Um, but I, f- I feel like in this company, we've seen a little too much of the ladder and we're going to get another one with game seven of this trios titles match. I think they could have done a better job with game seven than just a ladder match. And I don't know. They, maybe I'm off base here, but I just think they've done too much ladders. I don't disagree, but as someone that was there live for the Young Bucks Lucha Bros ladder match a couple years ago, uh, let them do a ladder match. My God, because it will deliver and it'll be amazing. But I don't. Do, I, I would also get rid of the annual uh, brass ring ladder match. It just feels very WWE ish, um, and uh, I think you'd be you'd benefit from uh, keeping these rare. Um, that's just my take. All right. Uh, that, that was two, actually, I think. You, you gave me two, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Use talent better. And uh, all right, that's fine. You know what? I'm not going to make you give me three. Who cares? I did give uh, you three. Use talent better. Um, keep, um, keep building stars on dynamite. And then get rid of the ladder matches. All right. There we go. Good. Fair enough. Uh, number 11 pack uh, has Miro, Adam Cole, QT Marshall, Ortiz, Dustin Rhodes, and Andrade El Idolo uh, parallel, John Moxley, and Nick Jackson inserts. And uh, the question 11 is, is there any reason to be concerned about TBS not wanting Jericho on final battle initially? And there was a report in the Observer that um, at first Sam Linsky and TBS were against Chris Jericho uh, being on the final battle pay-per-view. So there was a plan at a point for Jericho to lose in the four-way at full gear to Claudio. Uh, but that was reversed when everyone got on the same page about him being okay to be on the pay-per-view. Uh, I get it. A Ring of Honor is not their promotion. What happens if he gets hurt on a Ring of Honor pay-per-view and then can't be on Dynamite for a year? What happens if he breaks his neck? What happens if he like snaps his leg in half? Like This is what they're thinking about, and this is why having a relationship with your um, television partner is so important. You have to be on the same page with these things. I don't blame them for not wanting him on a different program, even though it's AEW adjacent, and even though ROH talent is on AEW. But if ROH talent is on AEW, I don't think they have an issue with it because you know what? It's AEW programming, and it's giving them ratings. Jericho being on an ROH like pay-per-view does nothing for AEW, does nothing for Warner Brothers Discovery. So I understand that. Like, I'm glad that they worked it out, and it seems to just be a one-off, and Jericho is going to be done in Ring of Honor. But I completely, completely understand not wanting him to be on. It does nothing for Warner Brothers Discovery. Yep, that makes sense. All right, our next pack. Um, and I just realized that there's only 16 packs in here, but this person, it was definitely not me, wrote 24 questions. So 
we're going to stop with a card gimmick uh, earlier than planned. But uh, Jade Cargill, Young Bucks, Christian Cage, Brian Pillman Jr., and Jim Ross uh, cards. By the way, I saw that uh, Griff Garrison was having some kind of relatively minor surgery last week. Uh, just thought I'd mention that real quick. Uh, a Powerhouse Hobbs insert, uh, CM Punk insert, and a Tay Conti insert. Um, and uh, re- related to Ty Conti, uh, how do you evaluate the 2022 AEW's women's division? Like on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the best ever and 1 being the worst ever. Six? I think they're trying with fair. what... I think they're trying with what they have, but they're pushing some of the wrong people. And I don't think they're doing enough for development. And they honestly just don't have a deep roster. And I understand why they introduced the second women's belt. It was too early to introduce a second women's belt because you don't have a roster fortified enough to be able to run that many. Because you have essentially multiple storylines with the women. But now you have to have two title pictures. That gets murky when you don't have a super deep roster that's flush with ready talent. Tay Conti is flash potential, but she's not there. Anna Jay's certainly not there. You're not using Diamante, who's one of the better just pure workers in the promotion. Like, there's so many little nuanced things. They weren't ready for a second belt. They're still not ready for a second belt. They need to keep building the division from within. They need to find outside talent, which is why bringing Soraya. I mean, even if Soraya is a capable worker, that's a plus add. Like, because they need capable workers. And will she be there? I don't know yet, but... It's they're at least continuing to try and fortify this division, and I think that's a net positive. But they need to keep doing more, and the addition potentially of Sasha Banks could be massive for the division. All right, uh, our next pack has cards of Luchasaurus, Orange Cassidy, Billy Gunn, um, the Blade, Keith Lee, uh, a Gold parallel of Hikaru Shida, a uh, fireworks parallel of Riho, and a Chris Jericho insert. And uh, your question is, how is the return of House of Black gone so far? Well, that's great. Julia Hart is playing her part perfectly. She just comes in, looks hot. The guys come in, they kick ass. What else? What else do you need? It's... They're being booked really, really well right now. And they need to continue to be booked like this. Because as long as they're booked like this, guess what? That rules. Just let them go kick ass. That That's all you need to do. Let them go kick ass. Yep, basically. They're very good at squash matches in particular. So I think that uh, bringing them back, doing those is uh, definitely beneficial. You I have three that... guys that can that are work rate guys. Mm-hmm. They look like ass kickers. They are ass kickers. And they wrestle really well. What else do you need? All right. Our next pack has uh, Cash Wheeler, CM Punk, Alex Reynolds, Taz, and Ray Phoenix, a gold parallel of Ruby Soho, a Brian Danielson insert, and a Ray Phoenix uh, parallel insert number to 199, which Ooh. I think may be the rarest card I've pulled. Um, and your question is, what should main event Wrestle Kingdom, Osprey versus Omega or Okada versus Jay White? Well, there's a, a there's two ways to look at this. One, what's the hottest match? And two, what's tradition? Tradition is the title match goes on last. The only time the IWGP title match has gone on last in like, I'm going to call it modern day Wrestle Kingdom, the Bushi Road era, was um, when Tetsuya Naito won the G1. 
and they revolted and they did not mm-hmm. want to see it. They want to see Nakamura and Tanahashi. I think having uh, Kazuchika Okada and Jay White f- like finishing Wrestle Kingdom because you know you're going to get an Okada win. Um, I don't know if Jay White's even signed to any kind of long-term deal. I don't know if he even wants to be in the promotion for very much longer. Um, it sounds like he wants to be more in the States, just kind of what I'm gathering. But the, the match is ice cold. Yeah. Jay White's not even on the Corkins. And yeah, that's you, have, you have a mega molten hot match with Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. Like, I don't see how you don't try to main event with Omega and Osprey because it's far and away the hottest match on the card. It's going to steal the show. And imagine having to top that. Like, I yeah, think I, I still do Okada and Jay White. It's tradition. You get Okada on the mic at the end of the show because especially if Kenny Omega is winning, having him do the post-match promo could feel really weird considering he hasn't been in New Japan out, like since the split when yeah. he lost the title to um, Hiroshi Tanahashi at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2019, I mean, it's been four years since he's been in the promotion. That's a long time. Yeah, I think you have Okada hold the belt at the end of the night and cut the promo. Yeah, and I, I definitely think they're going to do an Antonio Noki tribute uh, with him doing the, uh, uh, shoot, the chant that uh, Noki's famous for having done throughout his career. Um and, uh, you know, I think that'll definitely be the moment they're going for. But I definitely think um, Osprey Omega is a much hotter match. Uh, our next pack uh, has a Andrade El Idolo, a Powerhouse Hobbs, Private Party, Rio Mizunami, unexpectedly, and a Scorpio Sky base card, uh, a Hangman Adam Page insert, a Jurassic Express Gold Parallel, and a Best Friends uh, Outside the Ring insert. And your question is, what is your prediction regarding what the New Japan-USA relationship will be on Ring of Honor's Honor Club? I think you have some sort of merging of New Japan Strong and Ring of Honor television. You have some crossover. I think it would be objectively good for uh, New Japan to have um, strong presence on Ring of Honor. I think it would be good for Ring of Honor to have a presence on Strong because you're going to have crossover. And while Ring of Honor, the cachet name is not what it used to be, it's honestly prob- before Tony Combat is at its absolute lowest point in the history of Ring of Honor. Um, I think it's going to be able to rebuild some of that cachet. And I think having promotion with New Japan, who honestly needs the promotion in the U.S. more than they have since the beginning of the Bushi Road era, because it's, it feels cold. Um, even like even in our little bubble, it's colder than it's ever been. Like. The no cheering thing has really killed New Japan more than it's killed any other promotion. Yeah, it's hurt it a lot. They need something because when New Japan shows have cheering, everybody loves them. And I feel like the sentiment is people want to be into New Japan, but the no cheering thing is keeping them from being into New Japan. I'll be honest, I don't watch a lot of New Japan right now. And if it had cheering, I bet I'd make more of an effort. But I got out of it really after... uh I think it was like Wrestle Kingdom 15, like 2021. Like I just, I couldn't do the no cheering anymore, man. It just got to me. And even AEW, they had some noise uh, at the crowds. Like they had like uh, wrestlers standing on the guardrails. Like that at least gave something to it. But I think they need to figure out a way to help bring back New Japan to the American audience. 
they can finally bring in um, Gaijin wrestlers to wrestle regularly without having to sit in a hotel room for 14 days. I think that's going to make a big deal. And I, th- I think the catalyst of this whole thing could be Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay on Wrestle Kingdom because I fully got into New Japan when it was Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho. That was like, okay, I, I've been a casual watcher. Now I really need to get into this. And it did. And I think this could be the next wave, but they'd still need to do more in the States. And I think Ring of Honor is going to be an easy way to do so. Very good. All right. Uh, next pack has two Grayson, Varsity Blondes, Karashita, Hook, and Evil Uno base cards, along with a The Bunny uh, Gold Parallel, a Santana and Ortiz Pyro Parallel, and a Mark Henry insert. And your question is, kind of building off the last one, uh, what was your favorite non-AEW promotion this year? Oh, that's a that's a good one. I'll be honest, I haven't watched a lot of non-AEW this year, so I'll probably go Ring of Honor because everything right. I've watched from Ring of Honor has been very good. I haven't watched a ton of New Japan, but New Japan, it's the no crowd thing. It's killing me. I hate WWE with a burning passion. It would be so great if WWE was good, but it's not. Yeah. It's just not. Um, and unfortunately, that's what most people in this country think professional wrestling is, and that's a damn shame. Um, but... With a lot of my sports stuff, I don't have a lot of time to watch wrestling um, because I have I surprisingly have other interests in wrestling and football. Um, I'm married, and you know I have a I have a wonderful puppy. Like there's just there's things keeping me away from it. And AEW's kind of been most of my wrestling this year. All right. And uh, your last pack uh, has John Silver, Max Caster, Tony Schiavone, Chris Statlander, and Darby Allen base cards, a gold Eddie Kingston parallel, a pack insert, and a Kenny Omega pyro uh, parallel. And uh, your question is, what's next for Ricky Starks? Do you think uh, they're going to have him continue to be part of the MJF title picture? Or do you think they're going to shunt him off to another feud for him to win? I think they have to shut him off to another feud um, unless they want to build him back up to do another um, title match, maybe the end of January um, to try and cause they have like 18 dynamites between pay-per-views. That's a long time. So you could build them up for another title challenge. I, I would almost kind of shift him away from the title picture right now and maybe give him like a few weeks off, bring him back and get him involved with something for the next pay-per-view cycle. You know, it'd be fun. Ricky, I mean, uh, Ricky, sorry, jungle boy is doing like, I'm just going to beat all the super heavyweights gimmick. Cause he called out big bill. He beat Brian yeah. cage. He beat Luchasaurus. He just wants to face big dudes and beat them. I, and I think that's his arc. I would like to see jungle boy and Ricky Starks on revolution. Just go in there and have a match. Just go in nobody really loses anything from it. Just go, go have a four and a half star match on a pay-per-view. I think that would be a good direction, but we won't get that. Yeah. Uh, next question. Cause we are now out of packs. Um, uh, so Jesse Collins has started a uh, series of posts on voices of wrestling about uh, the four pillars and evaluating where they are. And in my opinion, uh, and by which I mean the author, the factory trapped author of these questions, uh, their opinion appears to be uh, Sam Guevara is the weakest of them. So where do you think he stands in the promotion? And what do you think his outlook is going forward? 
I think him just being kind of a shitty dude is really crush his wrestling push because he had uh, now, obviously it's not a hundred percent on him, but the stuff with Andrade and then he had the stuff with Kingston at a certain point, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt anymore. It's the boy who cried wolf. If you cry wolf too many times when the wolf actually shows up, nobody's going to believe you. So when this stuff keeps happening, like it's going to be really hard to believe that he's not at fault. And I, I just think he's, he still has the wrestling talent, but just the way he presents himself and obviously kind of the guy he sounds like he is backstage is not helping him at all. I agree with him that Guevara right now is the worst of the four pillars. Um, it's It kind of stinks because I thought Guevara had a ton of potential. There's a reason why he was the in the first match of AEW history. If you don't call, count all in, it was him and Kip Sabian. The first match of Dynamite was him and Cody Rhodes. Those aren't mistakes. They have a lot of faith in what this guy can be, but I don't know if he's ever going to get there because he is kind of shooting himself in the foot. Yeah, I uh, looking at my numbers, I have him like near the top 20 just in terms of match quality, but it feels like a lost year for him. I mean, I've had him with like uh, five, four and a half star matches, and it just feels like he's just hasn't been around at all really in any kind of key position and that's wild to think about when he's had this match output that i've really liked but i I do feel like he's slipping down the standings and uh you know i don't know if it's just like like this is going to be it for him or if they are waiting for an opportunity to feature him move more moving forward but i don't know i think his career is going to be very interesting and possibly not in a good way Mm mm-hmm uh, next question is, uh, what would you do with Dustin Rhodes over his final year? That's a good question. Um, I think you kind of give him a couple tribute spots, give him an opportunity to work with some young wrestlers. Um, I, I I really like the idea of him doing like like a reverse of the um, New Japan Young Lions seven match series where he just wrestles seven matches with young guys and gives like he can still put on a good four-star match and it's it. He doesn't look labored in doing so. I like the idea of just getting him to work with younger wrestlers. Um, yeah. That'd be a cool idea. Yeah. Just do like the, like the seven match farewell series or something and just have him work with young guys. I think that could be really fun. He has a lot to offer as far as um, how to be a professional in the ring, how to work a ring, how to work a crowd. He just, he gets it. He's still a really good baby face. Yeah. Very and, effective. And you know what? He's he's not the, the best in-ring worker, but he's a seasoned pro, and he's not going to make mistakes. And I think a lot of young wrestlers could really benefit from working with him. That's how I would approach it. And you know what? You give him the reverence that he deserves. He's gonna, He wants seems to want to work with young guys. He's uh, involved in the Nightmare Factory a lot. Utilize that and treat him with the respect he deserves on the way out. Uh, one other idea I had was that you could pair him with a couple, like maybe Top Flight or someone, and have him chase the trio's belt and possibly win it around June, around the midpoint of the year, just as a little, uh, not even so much a goal, you know, a uh, retirement watch kind of reign, but a let's help establish uh, these two guys as you know upcoming stars kind of run, uh, and you can easily replace Top Flight with whatever duo you would like that's on the younger side, but just an idea. 
Uh, our next question is: What if someone from WWE's roster were to jump to AEW effective immediately? Uh, who, which person do you think would be the most success successful at making that jump? Ricochet. Ricochet. Yeah, I think he works with the style really well. I think he's being massively underutilized in WWE, and he already has some chemistry with some of the workers there. I I think it just makes the most sense. I don't think he's indoctrinated so much on the WWE style where they would because he. He knows how to do spot fest. He under he worked with so many of these guys on the indies. He gets it. I think you put him in there and he fits like a glove. And I think you could rebuild the cachet that WWE has honestly stripped from him over the course of the last however many years. I think if you bring in a guy like Roman, you're going to get an initial bump because he is one of the biggest stars in WWE. But I don't know how what kind of transition it would be for him to start working this style. It would be a big one. Because yeah. they're so inherently different, he, like the mid, especially now. Yeah, I, I actually think he was a very good worker a couple of years ago. Um, you know, especially earlier in the Shield run, where he could be kind of like he, I think he excelled as like the tag team partner of Rollins, where he would come in and do the hot tag and do his, you know, his cool spots and uh, look really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's still capable of doing good matches, but he has not been doing that this year, really, in general. Because that's not his gimmick, and that's fair. But, you know, it makes me enjoy him less when I'm not so into the gimmick. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I were to pick someone, I'd actually probably go with Seth Rollins. I think he's still a really good worker. I think he has a big name value. And I think he could transition to uh, the ring style pretty easily. A lot of his matches were pretty close to AEW style, I think, this year. Um, It's kind of a faster pace, and he's uh, able to do that in WWE. And I think he'd make the segue well. Plus, to get him out of this terrible, uh, whatever the hell this gimmick is that he's been doing this year, the freaking, you know, with the ridiculous outfits and the laughing and everything. Yeah, Seth Rollins. Um, I don't I don't know if he'd be any good here because I think he might just be one of those people that's just too indoctrinated on WWE style to be good outside of the system. But I would like to be proven wrong because I think he could be an asset to anybody who picked him up if he wasn't fully indoctrinated on the style. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, question number 21. Uh, who do you, who would you give the MVP award to for the women's division? I feel like you probably tipped your hand on this with the MVP vote, but Tony storm. Oh, really? Over Britt Baker. Um, I, I like, as far as like overall, I think Britt Baker's done a little more, but if you just talk mm-hmm. to women's division, how that, how she had to rehab that title and how she held it and defended it for that time period. I, I don't see how you can give it to anybody else. And, you know, I probably should have thought of Tony Storm when we talked about this at the beginning of the show. But it, it, that run with the title was so tremendous. I think it usurps anything else that the division has done. I think that's really fair. I would would have gone with Tony Storm as well. Uh, question 22. Uh, who was the most underutilized member of the AEW roster in 2022? Underutilized? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go an odd one, Buddy Murphy. Okay, how do you not get Buddy Murphy and just send him out there for a bunch of singles matches and just have him put on four stars, four star twelve minute matches every single week? What what are we doing? You have a guy who delivers constantly, and he can just sit on television and wrestle. He doesn't need to be involved in storyline. Obviously, he's a member of House of Black now, but. 
just have them go out there and have bangers. Like, why aren't we doing that? What, yeah. like, why? You could argue Miro because Miro's character is so great. Would have been, um, would have been my pick. Yeah. And the, just think, like, how much we missed out on with um, Red Dragon before Bobby Fish left the promotion. Yeah. You could have done another Bucks match. You could have had them wrestle so many tag teams. So you had two Red Dragon matches. Two. Mm -hmm. Two straight tag matches with them, yeah. Super disappointing. And I I think that we could do so much better. And Buddy Murphy just going out there and wrestling. Just go wrestle, bud. That's all you need to do. Just go wrestle. I think they need more of that. We talked about that. I mean, them needing more of it on pay-per-views a few years ago. Oh, and you know what? They've had just more good wrestling matches in the middle of those pay-per-views of the last year. It's been great. Now get those on dynamite. Put Buddy Murphy in the sixth quarter hour and just have him go wrestle for 12 minutes. There you go. All right. Yeah, I think that would have been really good. Another uh, strong option uh, that might supplant uh, Miro for me is Ricky Starks. Uh, I think he was could have done a lot more this year. And, uh, I wonder if they were trying to keep him on ice a little bit to make sure his neck was okay. I assume so. That is a definite possibility. But uh, And uh, what was the worst moment of the year for AEW outside of Brawl Out? Because that's kind of the layout, layup option there, I think. Ooh. My brain doesn't necessarily remember all the bad moments. Um, Soraya's um, introduction to the company after Grand Slam, that promo was absolutely abysmal. That was bad, um, yeah. But I, I want to know who's at fault. Did anybody talk to her about how, hey, make sure you're not doing a WWE-style promo. Make sure you're just talking like candidly from the heart. Like You don't want to do this, that, or the other thing. You want to make it sound real because this is real. We are, we're not doing a fully scripted product. We are, you have a basic storyline you need to follow and just do that. And I think either nobody had that conversation with her or it didn't sink in. And that was a really bad one. Um, trying to think of other really bad moments. Like they're all just slipping my head. That's the only one I can recall. Uh, let's see. The, I would point to uh, Thunder Rosa, the drama with her. Uh, as a potential option here. Um, uh, I think that the early days, you, you liked it a lot more, more than me, but I think the early days of the firm was kind of rough. Um, some, you know, what happened with all the injuries and drama with regards to storylines, you know, it's kind of a generic answer, but I also think it uh, hurt the company quite a bit. Um uh, let's see um, what happened to Rampage for a while there. It was rough. Uh, some of the worst of uh, like Jade Cargill, um, you know, just in terms of her. I thought she got really stagnant this year, and that's not good. But yeah, Odie's waking up. He's he's a happy boy sitting next oh. to me right now. Dog time. All right, last one. Uh, what will be your favorite memories of this year of AW? That was the dog, I assume, and not your stomach. That was the dog. I, I have not eaten yet, so it, it could have been my stomach, oh, but it wasn't. Well, there you go. Um, I think my favorite memories, 
um, will have been um, the going to all out with everybody uh, from the network. And after that ladder match, um, t- working ourselves into a shoot as to who the masked guy was, that was a lot of fun. Um, but I think my ultimate favorite memory was Eddie Kingston winning the big one. He finally won a match that meant something. He beat Chris Jericho fairly in the middle of the ring. And to kind of see that mini arc completed. And now Kingston, I think, should have been utilized more, but there were some mitigating circumstances, the Sammy Guevara stuff. Yeah. But I think that's that's the one thing that will stand out. Um, Okada debuting on dynamite was tremendous. Um, look, Wisconsin isn't necessarily known as a wrestling area, but that crowd popped for Okada as they should have. Yes. Um, and I think the other one that'll stand out to me is the elite versus Aussie open. And sorry, the elite versus empire, like United empire, United empire. Yeah. I'm, I'm losing my mind here, but that was a tremendous match that's somehow going to miss my match of the year. Actually, maybe it isn't. I don't remember. Um, I'll have to pull it up. Um, Nope. That's currently number six on my match of the year list. Awesome. Uh, I I really liked the return of the elite. Uh, Getting them back was nice. Uh, The Brian Danielson coming in and having that string of really great matches early on in the year was Awesome. Uh, anything Eddie Kingston did uh, and the rise of Ricky Starks over the past month or two, I think those are probably the highlights I'm walking away with. Um, I'm really excited about what next year will bo- bode for AEW and uh, how that goes. But yeah, that's it for our questions. Um, as far as what's coming up next, we have a pretty full card uh, so far announced for this coming Dynamite on the 21st for the Holiday Bash Show. Uh, we get game uh, or match five of the Death Triangle Elite Series with a no DQ step. We get FTR versus the Guns and Karashida challenging Jamie Hayter for the AEW Women's World Championship. Brian Danielson will be cutting a promo. We'll also get Ricky Starks appearing in some format and a face-to-face between Swerve and Keith Lee. And then on the 28th, we already have announced uh, Samojo versus Wardlow for the AEW TNT Championship. Um, but that's uh, that's what we have uh, announced so far from AEW, and uh, that concludes our show. And for me, I think it concludes my uh, role on the podcast for the year. Uh, I'm going to be traveling next weekend and probably be unable to pop on for the show. So I think Tyler's got a great guest lined up to uh, fill my seat. And uh, hopefully I'll be back for the show after that. But if not, uh, similar circumstances, I think Tyler will be able to get someone. And uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of fun doing this podcast this year and I'm looking forward to doing it next year. I'm glad Tyler asked me to do it. Um, I've been having a lot of fun working with him. So, yeah, that's the first time I've ever heard that. I like the sound of that, Fred. (laughs) Um, no, it's, it's been a really good time and we're excited to continue this podcast into, um, 2023 and I'll give a little hint for who my special guest will be next week. The creator of the dynamite dozen, and he will be here as we unveil our running dynamite dozens for the the year which has started in the beginning of october we are going to continue that and update it as each month passes and then we will bring suit on to unveil our full 
Dynamite Dozens and discuss his article with him. I and I just gave it away. Yeah, it's Sue Williams. That guy kicks ass. <laughs> um, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah. so um, he's going to be a hopefully a semi-regular contributor because his article series that he's done the past three years, the Dynamite Dozens, has been tremendous. And it gives a real nice encapsulation of the year. Um, until then, if you celebrate Christmas, have a Merry Christmas. If you celebrate Hanukkah, I hope you are currently enjoying and have a wonderful time celebrating. If you don't celebrate either of those or celebrate anything in between, um, I hope you have a very happy holiday season. And if you celebrate nothing, I hope your day goes wonderfully. Um, you can follow us as a podcast at Good Bad Hungy on Twitter. You can email us at hungypod at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at The Real Forno. You can follow Fred on Twitter at Flagrant Wrestling. If you have any questions for the show, please shoot us a DM or an email. And if you don't want to do either of those, you can do that on the Good Bad Hungy channel on the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Have yourself a wonderful holiday season. And Fred will see you next year, but I will see you next week. Y'all have a good one. Happy holidays, everyone. Enjoy the end of the year and uh, happy wrestling, everyone. Skull Vikings. Hola, hola. My name is Ricardo. I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and, of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the progressing world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.